listening to the Creative Pep Talk podcast. We help you build a thriving creative practice. I'm your host, Andy J. Pizza. Go to creativepeptalk.com slash newsletter and subscribe so you never miss an episode and you're able to make consistent creative progress each and every week. That's why we make this every week to help you stack up those productive creative weeks. Now, let's get into this episode. This episode is supported by In The Making, an original podcast brought to you by Adobe Express, the all-in-one content creation app included in your Creative Cloud membership. If you are trying to boost the YouTube, TikTok, Reels content side of what you're doing, one episode of In The Making that I think will be super useful to you is their episode with John Ushai. I think John's method for including his audience in the process is really inspiring. And if you want to hear about that and more about leveling up your game in the creator economy, just search In The Making in your podcast player to listen. Many thanks to In The Making and Adobe Express for their support. really needed to rehaul my website. I was talking to some web people, looking around, and I got intrigued by Squarespace's new Fluid Engine, partially because it just sounds cool, but also because it allows you to drag and resize and layer up anything you can imagine. I dove in, rebuilt my site. It's the most me site that I've ever had. I just absolutely love it. Launched it. Got such a great response. Some industry illustration and designy peers even reached out and was like, hey, who coded this thing, man? I'm like, y'all, I did it by myself. No coding with Squarespace's new Fluid Engine. I told him like, you should go check it out. You're gonna be surprised with what you can do. And I built this thing before Squarespace reached out to sponsor the show. So I was like, boom, easy peasy. I was gonna tell you about this new site. Anyway, go check it out, anyjpizza.com if you wanna see what I did with it. If you want to try it yourself, make a site that's totally you, where you can build a portfolio, sell content and courses and all kinds of other stuff, head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain with promo code PEPTALK, all one word, all uppercase. Today on the show, we have the Hood Sisters of Hoodspa Design. Uh, I came out of this conversation. I can't, Every time I finish an interview, I usually walk out into the main room. Ryan sat there, and I came out, and I was like, yes! This was so good, so much good. This is just exactly the kind of thing that I want to put out on this show, we had Jen and Amy Hood, they're twin sisters. And one of the things uh, that stands out to me about them and their work, uh, you know, I've met Jen and Amy a few times at various conferences. We go way back in the design world and their work is freaking so fantastic. It uh, The colors, the shapes, the 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 taste the, it's just so good i'm not even not even a design enthusiast i would say these days but i am definitely a uh hoodspa design enthusiast because this work is fantastic and the thing that stands out to me is that um these are twins and i think that you have this idea of like how do you tell these people apart like that old trope but the funny thing is I almost feel like because of having so much in common in one way, it actually accentuates how different they are. And I think it maybe helped them create and and discover their individuality and their own um, their own identity because of that. And they have a deeper sense of identity, really. like i I think of it's so starkly obvious how different Jen and Amy are and how the, the, that those differences come together to create something really, really special with the work. Uh, and we're going to dive into how you can use some of that to help discover what makes you different and create a focal point in your market uh, through some of their experiences and, and some of their practices as designers. Here it is. Love this conversation. 
Jen and Amy Hood. Just want to check in as two creators. What is uh, getting you jazzed about your work right now? And it could be something very non-designery. Could be. I just, have it. I know it right oh, now. Oh, let's go. Let's hear it. We have a bald eagle in our neighborhood that we've what? been tracking. <laughs> and we what? found its nest. We found its nest. It's <laughs> in our neighbor's yard, which we already peek over because they have horses, which is already yeah. a big draw. <laughs> so to find out that they not only have horses, which they chose, but a bald eagle that chose them. That's amazing. It's just unfair. Is what yeah. it is. But at the same time, we have access just outside their gate, which yeah. they have a little camera on their gate, which I know they think we're the creepiest people. But when you have a bald eagle sitting in your tree, I mean, what do you expect? <laughs> There's a big rock that we stand on and just like peer over like uh, Wilson from Home Improvement. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's like we've reached peak like 80 um, year old lady status, uh-huh. you know, like bird journaling and binoculars. We've named him Bruce a la Willis. <laughs> so. That's amazing. Do, uh, I just have so many uh, thoughts flooding at once. One is just imagining them seeing you on the camera all the time thinking they're back looking at our eagle again and, and just being t- totally weirded out. But do you, are you serious? Like I love birds. Like I, I it is, yeah. it's kind of an ADHD thing, but like if a bird of interest enters my view, no matter what's happening, like if I'm, f- my wife and I have been like having a fight and I'll be like, wait, there's a blue jay right there and it will <laughs> both stop because we love birds. Yeah. Um, oh. Yeah. Well, I looked it up the other day because first of all, we were like, there's no way that a bald eagle is living in Orange County, California. <laughs> like, there's just no way. And so we Googled it. And sure enough, they had like re-released some and they are like just chilling in the area. And um, but I looked it up on YouTube. So I'm getting deep into it. And you're allowed to call them raptors. Like that what? alone has just sent it over what? the edge for me. I'm like, we have raptors in the neighborhood. Why are <laughs> like, you what? what? That's another word for them? I guess it's like the you know hawks and eagles are both raptors. Apparently, it has something to do with their teeth and talons. I think so. Like I, dinosaurs? I, mean, I know it's crazy. <laughs> Living dinosaurs. What so, the heck? Yeah. And apparently, bald eagles only get white heads when they're five. So that speckly thing we saw the other day was a bald oh eagle. Oh my gosh! He just wasn't bald yet. Are you the type of uh, creative person where you will find a way to put this into your work, or does it is it just not? <laughs> That's the problem with us. See, we're not, we don't, like, you're so lucky in that you are, like, the illustrator artist. Like, you do what you want, and people come to you for what you do, and, you know, so you set the terms. Like, we're more designers, which is more of, like, the negotiation with what the client needs. So I I think it'd be hard to squeeze a bald eagle in (laughs) one of my clients, but I don't know. I'll look for it. I would love to see, like, your next pitch, and you you just did rebranded, like, not long ago, a cannabis brand and just every yeah. different angle is somehow a bald eagle. <laughs> Why is this like, this is what's inspiring me right now. Okay. That's where it's coming from. Oh, it's so funny. That's cool. Uh, yeah. I could definitely get down with that. I, yeah, I love birds. Okay. What it, and it, I, I just, part of it is that I'm questioning is that both of your hair, you have long hair. Both of you have long hair, which is <laughs> yeah, not yeah. usually the case. Uh, right. But because, Jen, you usually have shorter hair, Jen, and that's I know, how you yeah. usually say, I'm the one with short I'm hair. But I still, I, pre- I've still, I still knew. And, yeah, and okay. that's kind of what, uh, but Amy, uh, is the eagle doing it for you as well or not? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think it's like anything that's like not at me at a computer is like the th- most thrilling thing in the world to me right now. You know, it's like, yeah. um, so just like, yeah, seeing nature and something so, um, rare, you know, especially in Orange County where it's just like, he's right where the fo- 55 meets the, you know, the 91 meets the 90. <laughs> like he, he's in the middle of like one of the busiest centers of Southern California. Yeah. And he's just like chilling, doing his thing, you know, uh, it's pretty cool. That is pretty cool. Unbothered. Yeah, that's awesome. I yeah, I'm jealous, and uh, I I maybe are you putting pictures online? Are there places we can see Bruce? Oh, we should set up like in Big Bear. They have a camera that just watches it twenty four seven. We should set one up. That'd be that'd be great for like YouTube ratings. You know, just now the Hoodspot channel is no longer designed. Eagle Watch. You can make a whole brand for that, and then there it is. You're gonna attract these 
bird companies. I don't know if there are any. <laughs> yeah, um, how, do we, how do we make the, a long play on this? Yeah, there's got to be a long. There's got to be a big business bird. How business. can you exploit <laughs> birds sure for your own game? Yeah, yeah. That's good. That's good stuff. Um, speaking of uh, the fact that you're twins, that that's one of the things I want to talk about uh, from the start was. One of the reasons I really wanted to have you on the show for a long time was that you both seem to have a really clear sense of your identity as people. And even, I don't know you super well, but we've run into each other a few times at conferences. And uh, I, But I just instantly got a sense of, I almost feel like this would, people would think it's the opposite was the case, that if you were twins, that you'd have a hard time finding your identity. But I have a theory of why you both seem to have such a clear sense of who you are, which is a huge part of being an artist. There's two parts. One, the twins thing. I feel like that contributed to owning your own identity. And then the other one is that you moved around a lot. Oh, 100%. What do you think? I don't want to lead it any different way. Yeah, oh, I ahead. thank my mom all the time. I'm like, thank you for uprooting us so many times, <laughs> making us fledge and flail for ourselves at new schools every like three to four years because it really makes you get out of your own head and just be like, I need to make friends right now. <laughs> like, yeah. I need it's like some, Survivor Island. It is. It's very survival and it's very like you learn how to be invested in other people, I think is the big thing, right? It's like you learn how to ask questions, you learn how to make friends, you learn how to meet people and just like get excited about what other people are interested in. And so, yeah, I, I'm always like, I always tell people, they're like, I'm not good at meeting people. I'm like, you need to get up and move and put yourself in an uncomfortable You need to be traumatized by having all of your ties. <laughs> I know. Like, it's it's I, horrible I, did, I, you I can't moved do everywhere, it later too. In life. Yeah. Yeah, really, but it, you can tell when somebody has moved a lot. You're like, you're like, you moved around a lot as a kid. People always say, are you army brats? We're not. We just, I don't know why we move so much. But, um, but yeah, it is helpful. So even just like putting yourself in an uncomfortable situation and being like, I'm going to ask people about them. I'm going to be good at asking questions. That's like the best thing you can learn. That's like uh, meeting people one-on-one. Just ask them about them. They will talk. They'll just keep going. It's fine. All you have to do is just keep thinking of new questions for the other person to answer, you know? I mean, that that's not how to true. make deep friendships, but it's just how to get it rolling. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's also, I think, you know, I, I feel like it's a good, uh, for people that struggle with social anxiety, which is a lot of people, it's a good, oh, yeah. it's a good trick. Yeah. Just to, to go Especially, in with questions. Yeah. Especially nowadays. Cause it's like, we're so used to being online. Like I feel bad for like the kids growing up now because it's like, there's just so much less human interaction, especially now. And so it's like, it can be really hard once you like are IRL <laughs> to be like, how do we, how do we do this when I don't have the time to like perfectly think about what I want to say, you know, but it, it is handy. Just like ask questions. Yeah. And I, for, so I moved around a lot, probably a similar amount to, to you too, but I, one of the things I feel like happened over time, I think early moves, there was a lot of like chameleoning, like I've got to figure out how to fit in. And then I think over time that something that kind of happened was I had to figure out where I began and where my environment ended of like, you just start, once you get plucked and put into different cultures and different communities, I feel like you get, I don't, do you feel like you had a sense of like, so much of these people, what they think of them as themselves or their personality is just their environment. It's just them being, does that make sense? Oh, yeah, I think that all the time. Like I used to have a friend who had never been on a freeway and I was like, wait, what? And this was in Kentucky. And I was like, you need to get on that freeway, girl. Cross the state line. Like, uh, like you would be surprised at maybe what you like, what you thought was like your belief is maybe not your belief. And you just growing up hearing this a lot, you know? And I mean, I know that was the case for us, even though we moved around a lot, you know, when you, we were in Kentucky for about five, years. five to seven years, no, five, five years. years mm-hmm. Yeah. And that was like the formative years. And so then I started, then I started to solidify all these opinions from that location, you know? And then we moved to California, like junior year in high school. And then I started hearing all these other opinions and I thought, oh my gosh, what? How did I think this other thing was my opinion? But I just had not been exposed to other ideas fully, you know? So it is important to just, even if you can't move, let's, let's think of a different way that people can like find new yeah. ideas. It's just like going to different coffee shops, going to different neighborhoods that have different demographics of people, going to restaurants there, like introducing yourself to people. Of course, that's harder now, but you know, um, I think just putting yourself into into positions where you're around people that aren't like you. That's why I used to love making friends at work and school 
because it makes you make friends with people that you would never normally gravitate towards. Mm-hmm. And those are the coolest friends because they teach you things that you didn't even know to ask. You didn't know you didn't know. They're people older than you. They're people younger than you. They're people completely different stages of life and different interests. Like those kind of friends are, I've actually kept in touch with longer than the ones that I was like, we go to shows together, you know, or yeah. we I, like the same music. Yeah. And I've kept in touch with those friends too, but there's, there's something interesting about those friends you make at those institutions of the job, the school. Yeah. 100%. And I, I think one thing that happens for me, my wife is from England cause I'd lived over there for a few years and, uh, I feel like people that haven't had that experience of, you know, it's actually more interesting to meet people that are different to you than it is the same. Like sometimes people will hear that, oh, you're different. Therefore I can't relate. Therefore I'm shutting that down. Whereas if you've had to move around, you realize like, oh, that's what makes someone interesting or worth having around is like, they're bringing something different to the table. And as you were talking through all that, I instantly saw uh, a connection to being a designer because I've heard you talk about being intro- like one of the cool things is that every design project you're working in a different industry and you're having to immerse yourself and ask questions and get into that. It seems like there's a pretty clear parallel to <laughs> totally to that, right? Yeah. Oh Do yeah. You- like from a young age, I think we realized that like we used to draw a lot. So we were really into like, you know, car- making our own cartoons and all that kind of stuff. And from our young age, we realized like this is like something we can trade for, you know, like kids wanted us to draw things for <laughs> yeah. them. And it like it was the beginning of friendships. Mm-hmm. And to this day, I think we use our illustration and design skills to connect with people that we're interested in. But also, you know, yeah, we we get to immerse ourselves in all kinds of weird facets of like cool industries that we would never, you know, be exposed to otherwise. Like to this one of my favorite clients is Eternova, who is a company that creates diamonds from cremation ashes. So instead of, you know, going to an old grave site somewhere, which if you move, like you can't go to that site anymore, you know, or carrying an urn around that has kind of these like, you know, really somber connotations, you have this bright diamond on that you can talk about and remind yourself of this like person. And I'm like, that is the coolest like company. And I would have never known about that if we hadn't been in this industry, you know, and that's what I think I'm chasing now. You know, my dream clients used to be things like, oh, I want to work with Disney, which I still love working with Disney, but um, you know. Yeah, but now it's like, what is the weirdest company? I want to work with that. I want to be exposed to some weird stuff that's coming down the pipe. Like, we worked with this company called Sunny, and it's a portable bidet. Yes. And apparently, like, this stuff is big in Europe, you know? Like, it's coming, everybody. Get ready. What the heck? That's amazing. And it reminds me of there's this big correlation in creative people. Uh, They call it openness to experience is one of the keys to being a creative person. And I heard... uh, uh, Wayne Coyne of the Flaming Lips talk about how someone was, I think NPR, they were asking him about like, you know, there's a lot of correlation between creativity and drugs. And he was just like, well, I think that that's more of a coincidence because if you are open to experience, which is a creative attribute, more you're more likely to be open to doing drugs. Like it's not necessarily the drugs that are doing it. It's the openness. And it seems like moving around a lot forced you to be open to different perspectives. You seem to have really clear sense of identity. Do you feel like that's true before I just keep working with that assumption? I think so. I I think so. You know, every six months you kind of have one of those moments where like, do I? Who am am I? I? (laughs) But I think everyone has those. For the most part, I'm like, yeah, I think I got this. (laughs) Yeah, I think, yeah, I agree completely. Um, But it, you know, you mentioned how how we want to be perceived or how we think we're perceived is often so different to who you really are. Your elevator pitch is kind of what you were saying. Like your elevator pitch of who you are is often really far off from who you are, (laughs) but that is a big problem for creative people. Like getting that, like that's one of the things that as I've worked and taught creative people over the years, one of the things I'll notice is when there's this huge gap between someone's portfolio and who they are as a person, if I meet them in in person, I'm like, you are not anything. There's this, you need to bridge that gap. That needs to be a tighter fit. Um, And I wonder if, uh, if part of it is having a twin that I'm assume, I'm assuming that you can be brutally honest with each other in terms of mirroring what's actually going on. Is that true? Is that part of it? Yeah, I think so. I mean, 
it, you know, it's why like all the best SNL writers have writers partners is like you, you, you want to have somebody to bounce an idea off of and say like, am I right? Is this really funny? Or is this just me? Like, is it just me? But even sometimes then, like sometimes Jen will say, Mm-mm, that's not it. And I'll be like, no, I feel this in my gut. We got to do it. Like we just, we just made this mug. And I was like, Jen, how funny is this? Uh, Helvetica in the streets, Cooper Black in the sheets. And she was like, what does it mean? And I was like, no, no, but it, I don't know, but it's hilarious. And she's like, no, no that's not it and I was like no Jen I feel this one in my bones like I just feel it and so I was she's like well we're going to get the minimum printed like I don't think this is going to go anywhere and then we printed them and sure enough people were like oh this is hilarious and luckily they got what we got which was that it doesn't make sense but it's hilarious yeah. um but it's like so sometimes even then like Jen will present you know present something to me and I'm like Mm-mm, that I don't like it at all and she's like no no trust me like this is it for the client and I'm like okay well I'll trust you because you know you've been the main point of contact so it is a balance of like like letting someone call you out when it's like, this isn't it. And then, but then knowing when to stick to your guns when you really do know that it is, you know? Yeah. I think that's most of creativity though. Wouldn't you agree? Is like, there's always this fine line of like dispassionate passion, right? It's like, you need to know when to be passionate, when to put it all in. And then sometimes when to realize like, okay, right now I just need to practice and I just need to do the work. I'm not feeling it. Or it's time for negotiation. Like others have to get involved and I can't be like dragging this down, you know, just because like I won't, yeah, because of ego or I I won't budge on the slightest things, you know? Yeah. There's a, I feel like there's a, that description I so relate to. I do a lot of collaboration with my wife and, and with Ryan and I, I relate to this kind of purification of, what you really care about, what you really believe. I heard once, um, uh, what's his name? The guy who played uh, Willy Wonka back in the oh, day. Which, the original one? The original. Gene Wilder. Gene, Gene, Gene. Wilder. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, Gene Wilder. And he talks about working on uh, a, a film with Mel Brooks. And there's a part that he wrote in it where Mel was like, eh, I don't think so about that. And he was like, I will die on this hill. This <laughs> is it. And then, and then later, uh, he's like, "Hey, Mel, I'm sorry, I got so crazy about it." And and you know, I know you really don't like that part. And he's like, "No, I didn't know if I liked it or not. I wanted to see if you were going to be willing to fight for it because it was right. a crazy call. But I needed to know: Are you like committed to it? Yeah. And I d- that is so true. Like I get this with. There's lots of times where my wife will call me on something and be like, what about this section? I'm like, oh, shit. I was hoping you wouldn't look at that section. I got, you know, I, you know what I mean? You're like I thought that would lighting get... on that side of the, the artwork. You know? yeah. uh, <laughs> Candle and then, lighting, and, as we say. And I'll be like, all right, I'll have to go back to the drawing board and do more work and, and fix that. But sometimes she'll be like, what about this thing? And I'm like, that is it. <laughs> Don't you dare talk about that. I did this uh, Freudian octopus in a piece recently, and it was one of those things where she's like, what is that? I'm like, he's staying, okay? Yeah, I just yeah. know he, there's something yeah, about I, it. Yeah, yeah. Totally. Oh, that's so funny. Knowing when to decipher the two is the thing that I am continually trying to like hone in as I get older, and I think it's like my perception or my um, discernment is the thing that I'm constantly trying to home in on now. Cause it's like, when I was younger, I used to feel like I used to fight for everything. Everything was like, you're ruining it with your feedback. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Then you get to a point when like, maybe like 10 years later, then you're like, no, no, the client should weigh in. And you almost, then you almost get a little too lackadaisical maybe, you know? And so it's like finding that balance of like knowing when, you know, I think is all about the seasoning, the aging of a creative, you yeah. know? Well, I mean, working for ourselves at Hoodsville, when we first started it, we were just like, we just want the client to be happy. We will do anything. And we were just like desperate puppies that people just stomped all over because we had no sense of leadership over a project. And we realized real quick, gosh, this is the quickest way to burn a lot of bridges and have a lot of unhappy clients because they're looking to us to be leaders of what this should be. And we're not, we're just literally asking them, well, what do you want? You don't, oh, you don't like that? Well, what, what about this? And so learning leadership was like a huge part of us, like becoming experts and being perceived, being able to like wield the power that we needed to make sure the project turned out really good. Um, but in order to do that, the hard part is, is that you have to have confidence to exude that leadership quality that you need to like really lead a successful project. And if you don't feel confident in your process or how you're doing something, it can be really hard to portray that, which is why I'm so, so, so grateful for so many friends who were really transparent with us about how they did things and going to meetups where people, 
I was like, this is how I do something. Like, is this right? And they're like, no, that is so wrong. <laughs> and, and even if they weren't transparent, just me being transparent and asking them, well, am I doing it right? Was a great way to get feedback to make sure. And so by asking enough questions, I think we eventually were like, okay, we feel confident in this. And now we can finally like, you know, lead this in a way that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. That makes total sense. I think you described kind of a creative journey of, uh, starting with ego of like, I'm right. I'm going to argue for everything, like whatever. And then going through, I think most, if you're actually putting yourself out there, you're trying to make a, a practice work and you're putting your stuff online and you're working with clients, eventually you're going to get humiliated from oh, that yes. stance. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. Because all the be brave people down. have big fail moments for oh, yeah. sure. Yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, then it becomes a process of picking up the pieces and not rebuilding ego, but then re finding some semblance of confidence in your own personal taste. So how, how do you, with the Cooper Black thing, it's a great example. How did you, uh, I had another guest, Lulu Miller, she's co-host of Radio Lab. She talks about listening to her body of like, just listening to like the Freudian thing with the octopus. As I was making it, I was, I found myself laughing and I, and at first I was like, I don't know if I'm laughing at how stupid I am. Like right. this is really bad. Or if like I'm laughing because it's somehow my taste. How do you, how do you, how, how cause you said you're like, you're trying to discern more. You're trying to develop that muscle. What are some things that you've noticed when you're like, oh, this is one of those things? Gosh. I, I know it's I, a tough question. Let's just I like, know. it's okay if we mess where, if it's really messy of how to yeah. you know get to the bottom of it. To be honest, I think my, my tact is like not very uh, graceful at all. It's kind of like just testing it small every time. If I have an idea, I kind of am of the mind. I really admire people who try a lot of things, like whether it's like, um, you know, I don't know who would be a good example, maybe like uh, you know, Tina Fey, she wrote a book and she did SNL and then she produces for other people and, you know, she can host, she can do a lot of different things. Those are all very different things, even though they're under the, the category of like entertainment. Right. Um, so to me, I'm like, let's, you never know what the thing is. That's going to be the thing to me. I'm like, sometimes the thing that I thought was like, eh, this is kind of cool, but like, it won't be that big. This other thing will be big. And then that thing turned out to be really helpful. And our audience really grasped onto it and we became known for it. So to me, I'm like, try everything a little bit. And if you start to get a good reaction, not only from yourself and the people that love you too much to, you know, blindly follow you into anything. <laughs> if other people that have no vested interest are also kind of like adopting it and feeling connecting to it, then cool, then pick it up in a bigger way. So like, whatever I do, it's just like minimum viable product to test it, right? So I always just try to test it small, try not to like put too much money into it before I can like see if there's a bite. Actually and, demand for it. Yeah, yeah, and then just keep going, you know, because you just don't know. So it's like not not tactful at all yet. <laughs> hopefully, yeah. hopefully give it 10 years. Let's, let's readdress this question and have a recap episode in 10 years. And I wonder, yeah, um, because I get that, you know, Nobody knows, and you're never going to feel like, oh, this is exactly how that works. But I wonder, one thing I'm noticing is uh, in one of your videos, you talk about design being the balance of um, spontaneous and constraint. And I could be oversimplifying your personalities, but I just wonder if this, Amy, this kind of spontaneous openness to trying everything is somehow reined in and you know, constrained by Jen. Is <laughs> that know, true? It's, it's it really, if, me and Jen laugh a lot because we're like, if we didn't have each other because we're very different people, I'm like, this business would be completely different for each of us. Mm -hmm. I would make zero dollars and I would be doing all the fun work all the time. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, and very up and down in my mood swings for sure. <laughs> and if Jen had the business, she would be making cash on cash no, on I cash don't know, I don't know if I would but yeah I mean I'm definitely the person who's like are we sure should we test this a little longer like I'm a little more trepidatious um and like a little bit more pragmatic and then you're like let's just try it gosh what could it hurt and you're like let's just do this you know like like let's not be too precious about it which is great I think you know um that's something that probably a lot of creatives could learn from that startup mentality which I don't understand in a lot of ways how people who have no like they aren't making money as a company but they're still worth building 
billions of dollars, but what we'll get to that later. But but the same in the same breath, like they are good at like trying a lot, seeing what works, trying small, and then like being kind of like uh, killing their darlings when it's like, hey, it didn't work. Like we did try it. At least we can say we did, but it, it didn't work. So let's let's pivot. You know, so. Yeah, that is, I mean, with business, it's weird. Some days you're like, it's all passion. You're like, I could keep doing this for years. And <laughs> I'd do this if no one paid me. Yeah, and then some days you're like, you do have to lean more on that business side of things where it's like, I am not feeling this at all, but I got to get this deadline done and I, I have to be there for the client. So I'm going to put in the hours. I'm going to do my best, but I'm just going to know that like, I'm going to be really frustrated today. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Totally true. And, uh, I'm just wondering how, well, First of all, the thing I'm struck by is the 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 lack of ego that is probably necessary for that collaboration to work. I I get really hung up on half truth things that are cliche in creativity. Like one of them is like, don't listen to anybody. Don't listen to your audience. Don't listen to your critics. Listen to your own heart only. And and the thing is, is I I said it was a half truth because I do think there is the thing of like trusting. This Helvetica Cooper Black thing is it. There's something I know how it's there, um, but but it sounds like also that it has to go through this process of this egoless kind of checks and balances between you that seems to be real. I mean, it really works. It seems like it's really working. Do you, when, as Amy is talking about uh, trying lots of things, trying everything a little bit. What is your what does your gut reaction or your nature say to that? Are you, I just wonder if there's part of you that's like cringing of like, I mean, I'm like that. I'm not saying, I'm not reading into it thinking, right. oh, I'd be cringing because that's how I think. I'm in that, I'm like that. But I just wonder how, what do you feel like, what is, you know, what's good practice on the other side of that for you? Right. Does that well, question make sense? Oh, totally. Because, I mean, I think you're kind of getting at with creatives, like we're always afraid we're going to be pinned down for something. It's like a lot of creatives have a really hard time specializing. They don't know what to specialize in because they're like, but I like doing everything. And it's like, you can still do like those things on the side, but if you really want to like, and so that's usually what I'm like countering Amy with. It's like, yes, we could do all these things, but it takes time away from the things that we want to specialize in, which if we become the experts at that thing, we could literally work with our dream clients because we become known for that thing. And it's way easier to obviously target an audience when you know exactly what you're doing and for exactly who, I guess. Um, but anyways, I mean, we, Mackie Saturday, you know, uh, we uh, talked with him like a few years ago and, and we were talking about, you know, all these side things that we're doing to try and like make all this passive income, you know, and he's like, well, why don't you just spend that 5% of time that you would have spent building something new to getting 5% better at what you're already doing? And he's like, wouldn't that be better? And I'm like, yes, it would. You're right. <laughs> but at the same time, like, we can't help it. We still like to do the side things. But I'm like, that's a great way to think about things. It's like, why keep dividing your time and just like parsing yourself out to where you're kind of like exhausting yourself instead of like really giving a few things a really good chance by investing a lot of great time and like, you know, talent into it. Yeah. I, it, it's not the same thing, but it reminds me of uh, I read uh, – that I think it's Harvard Business Review. <laughs> sure, <laughs> sounds good. <laughs> I, I don't know why I thought there were so many paths that I didn't mention it, but then I thought I have to cite it. I don't know. I'm sorry, but um, <laughs> but it was something about how getting new customers is 20 times more expensive oh, than keeping the is. customers that you have, yeah. and that if you would, I feel like as artists we have this kind of obsession with more followers, new people that have never heard of us, you know, doing things we've never done. And, and that kind of speaks to this idea of like, what about actually going from good to great on the stuff that you're already doing rather than, 100%. you know, yeah. It um, makes me think of those small bands that, um, have the loyalist followings. And so they're still touring, still, still doing it at like 40, 45 years old. And the music is, oh, you, you always know what you're getting when they release a record. Like they never, they never disappoint you. They are, they're true to the vision. You know what I mean? Like I forgot who I was talking to, but they were like, every social distortion song sounds the same. And I was like, I know it's trusted. You know, Mike Ness gives you what you want every time. Every member of the band has changed, but Mike Ness will make sure you get that social distortion sound every time. And there's certain bands like that where it's like, I really appreciate that. There's like a, there's, that's why I'm so loyal to it, right? 
So it's like there is something to be said about that. And then even like this is a random this is a really random one to cite. But it's like Green Day came out with um, they came they created a fake moniker so that they could create a, like a new band, a new sound, try something new and see if they could get it on the radio as like nobodies. Mm-hmm. And I think there's something really interesting about that. It's like, sure, still have your side projects. But then, you know, I think they came out with a Green Day album the next year. So it's like finding ways to just like have fun, test new things so that you don't get stagnant. You don't get your practice doesn't stagnate. Um, but kind of also, I don't know, taking um, care of your existing audience. Yeah. And realizing that um, having a style is is like something that people search their whole lives for. If people tell you you have a style or that you you know, you have like a solid, consistent body of work. I think sometimes creatives will bristle at that. Like, oh, so it all looks the same. You're saying it all looks the same, (laughs) you know? And it's like, no, that's, that's like actually like a huge compliment. You know, um, if somebody's people started telling us like, oh, that's like the chutzpah style. And I was like, what the heck is the chutzpah style? Like, I didn't know we had that (laughs) and I'm offended, (laughs) but, um, but I, I grew to be like, that's, that's an honor. Even when people would send me stuff and be like, this looks like the chutzpah style. And I'd be like, no, no, it doesn't. I didn't do that, and I'm offended. But um, yeah, yeah, that yeah, that's great. And I, you know, on this show, one of the I'm always I'm trying to embrace, and I'm trying to encourage other creatives to embrace, like be whatever the opposite of a one hit wonder is, and if that means you're Sinbad working Vegas, crushing it in Vegas, even though no one, you know, the cool people aren't talking about your stuff on Twitter, like that is not going to satisfy your soul. And it's something that is, the culture is so all over the place to be able to consistently make, be at the top of the charts is kind of an unrealistic, in my opinion, it's just an unrealistic goal. But if you can get connected to who you are and, and make stuff from that place and find people that want what that is and then just yeah. figure out how to do that. And, and also, yeah, keep your sidebands going so that you keep it fresh. <laughs> I think you're totally, totally oh, right. I love that. And, and it's like when I think about the brands that I respect the most, like Vans or In-N-Out, like these brands that really, sure, they have like artist collaborations. They do like wild things every now and again. But the reason we love them is because every year I can go and I can buy a pair of old schools and they are, they've been making them the same almost unchanged for like 70, 50, 60 years, however long it's been. Same with in and out the menu is consistent. And I think, so sometimes when I try to go too far off the reservation, I'm like, maybe this can be its own thing. Maybe this isn't a chutzpah thing, you know? So it's like finding ways to keep things more consistent in like our main practice and then, yeah, finding ways to break out. Yeah, stability. I feel like stability, it sounds, man, it just sounds, as soon as I said stability, I'm like, I'm 56 years old all of a sudden. Just one uh, one click. I'm 78. Um, but I do think as, as creative people, that I, I think that creativity often gets lumped in with being synonymous with new, which I don't actually think that they are as synonymous as, as people kind of think that they are. And finding... Finding a groove uh, is such a, a powerful thing. I'm going to switch it up a little bit. Our intro ended up being the majority of this conversation, which is kind of best case scenario for me, honestly. Um, I've really enjoyed this. But um, real quick. Not super quick. Whatever amount of time is normal. Uh, <laughs> uh, what what design made you a designer? And that it's really kind of a personal taste thing. Of I feel like a lot of people ask questions about when did you know you had talent, which is about your skill or what you can do. Uh, but I, I often feel like the real catalyst is falling in love with something or getting finding a taste for something. So I'm just curious. Um, uh, what, what design kind of got you hooked? Yeah. I think the first one was aesthetic apparatus was this screen printing studio in Minneapolis. I think it was. And, um, I saw, I was looking for like posters for one of the bands I liked, you know, back in 2000 and (laughs) whatever, three, I guess. Um, anyways, and, uh, I found their studio and I was like, what is this? Cause it's stuff that I had already been doing, but somehow I didn't know what the word graphic design, like I'd never heard it, you know? And so I was like, I want to do things that like, you know, like posters, like, which I think is every designer's like entry gateway gateway drug drug, is uh, poster designs for your friends' bands, which is definitely what we were doing. But I think even earlier than that, when 
when I was thinking about this the other day, like we were obsessed with The Simpsons from a very young age. Like the first year it came out, I was so obsessed with, and because I knew that I could do all the things to make the thing that I was watching. I was like, I can draw. I have a sense of humor. Like I could technically do this. And so we did, we would try and make our own like comics and we would like write our own plays and then draw out the scenes and stuff. And so I think then we were doing graphic design in the idea that you're telling a story through text and images and the interrelationship between them, you know? So I think it goes even back to yeah. then. You know? I mean, we created a school newspaper that nobody asked for for <laughs> elementary school. And we had like, you know, gossip columns and like a little uh, comic strip, you know, and um, it was kind of like the onion, but for like seven year olds, like it, it was all like very tongue in cheek and like jokey. Yeah. And, you know, cause we really liked the kind of like kids books that were like the stinky cheese man. Do you remember that book? Oh, I so was good. obsessed. Oh my God. I, I was like, go like, like content on that. I can get behind. It's not just <laughs> yes. like puppies and rainbows, you know? Oh my gosh. That was that book for me. You know, I make uh, kids books and that, that was the catalyst for me that I was just like, this is subversive and insane. And I can't believe my parents are letting me read that. Like maybe they didn't read it. I don't know what, like this is (laughs) totally insane. No, I think it was one of those things we secretly read in the back of Barnes and Noble. You know, they had the little (laughs) chairs and you'd find a chair and read it. You know, you felt like you were in like the naughty section of a bookstore or something. It really did feel like subversive, like content. (laughs) It really did. It was incredible. But I, I, and I know you joked about like band posters are like the, 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 you know, um, gateway drug to design for everybody. And I, I also, think like I you might even heard I think you probably heard one of my first talks and I feel like we at did. that time okay you might have heard my first public talk and at the time I think before I'd really heard a lot of design talks I was thinking this is an original story like I got into, <laughs> <laughs> I got Music, into band design what? <laughs> right. yeah. what the heck um but I am curious what was it about because you said you were already in into design maybe even making posters, but what was it about aesthetic apparatus do you think hooked you in terms of storytelling design, what they, what they were doing, where you were like, what is that? Like that, that's something different. Okay, real quick. The funny yeah. thing is, is I'm pretty sure the first talk you gave, which was one of our early talks too, I think Brandon okay. Reich was our host that year, who was like yeah. from Dead Poetic and who designed half the covers <laughs> yeah. that probably inspired us, which is so funny to me that we were all like, this is unique to us, right? Yeah, um, and I was right. like, Brandon Reich, you were so much a part of my youth before I ever knew you. And he does incredible work, by the way. Yeah, but um, but I think the, the thing about aesthetic apparatus was like they were doing... I think it's like just like the process of like having big ego to no ego to like the perfect amount. It's like uh-huh. first first you're like, I just want to do fun, creative work. I want to do art for a living. You know, I want to make posters. I want to do fun stuff. And then you kind of realize, oh, shoot, like that doesn't always necessarily pay the bills. I guess I have to do like boring stuff. And then you find out that somebody has managed to cross the two (laughs) and create like a good living from doing something that's exciting, you know. So I think um we were always kind of practical and I don't know if that's just because we were raised by a lot of entrepreneurial type people like our grandma and our mom were both they both had their own businesses many businesses and so I think we were always just kind of looking at it from that angle and especially like growing up in Kentucky I don't know if it was the same for you because you're in Ohio but um I remember when we were younger and I was like yeah I'm gonna be an artist and everyone was like no but you're gonna be like a nurse or a bank teller right like (laughs) and I was like oh and so I think you know, just f- finding out that somebody was doing it, making a living at it, and it was like a way to do art in a practical, pragmatic form that you could kind of sell as like, no, 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 this is a job, you know? Um, oh, yeah. I think that was like really intriguing and like exciting to me. Yeah, that makes tons of sense. And uh, do you feel like there was something uh, uh, visually or in terms of their practice and the mechanics of what they were doing that did feel different or that lit you up in a different way? I mean, yeah. I mean, they were, you know, all of their posters were their artistic interpretation of a band and it didn't look anything like the band's album cover. Like there was a lot of, um, uh, liberty taken, which I think was really mm. exciting and interesting. It's like, oh, I could do this for my favorite bands. Like, I don't just have to look at their, you know, release like album artwork, um, which is interesting too. Like, you know, design used to be so important because you used to just have to go to like Tower Records and pick a, a new CD based on the cover, hoping that the cover correlated to the type <laughs> of music inside, which it yeah. never did. So, <laughs> or you had to brave those like communal headphone CD players that you could like <laughs> test a, a record on, you know, or a CD on. Yeah. I'm like, the, thinking of that now, thinking of the communal headphones now. Ugh. 
Oh, Full body shivers. This year, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. What the heck? Oh my um, gosh. Yeah, that's really interesting. I had a. I mean, we had the same uh, story of how I got into design, but it, I do think a big part of the band posters for me, um, it was uh, Dakota Ring was my uh, favorite, is that they seemed. Uh, they had an artistic voice. They had an identity that was separate to the band, but they were participating into in the band. And I just, I think that that was, I couldn't play any music. All my friends played music. And part of it was like, can I be in the band? Like, what are you going to do? I don't, totally. I'll make pictures for the yeah. band. Um, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I actually, this is so embarrassing. I've never talked about this on the show, but I actually made pictures on stage for band in high school. You were like a live artist. Like live performance yeah, art. Oh my God. <laughs> that is so terrible. I no, just I remembered that. it. That's I so fucking love disgusting. that. Didn't Metavari do that at the Creative South like after yeah, party? Yeah, but I bet it was dope. It was not what I was doing. <laughs> I was like, listen, you're ahead of your time. <laughs> oh yeah. No, oh, that's so it was funny. terrible. Um, but yeah, I, I totally relate to like, they had crystallized their identity into this work and it was participating in things that were they were into and yeah, super super interesting. Another question I had was, what you think the the magic of good design is? The, something I'm kind of always thinking about. If I do my practice right, or the or the creative the creative stuff that I like, <laughs> I don't know what the inflection point was. You sound like Audrey um, Hepburn. You know how Audrey Hepburn just has the weirdest inflection. <laughs> yeah. Like where is she or from? She's a woman Walken with no or... nation. Like I've never heard this accent before. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the creative. Um, the uh, I don't know uh, that. I feel like there's a part when it's working, it should feel a little bit like magic. I feel mm -hmm. like, man, this does some weird thing that um, is more than some of the parts. And I, my hypothetical situation was a restaurant with good food and a bad brand versus good food and a good brand. What, what does that do? What, you know, what, what, what is the magic of design? That's what such an interesting for... example because to me, there's a lot more risk if you have a great brand but you have shitty food. So it's like oh, you yeah. can actually really mess it up if you like have the most beautiful brand but then you don't deliver on the the what they came there for expecting from the brand, which is all that branding is, setting an expectation of what the experience will be and then they better match. <laughs> but to me, what I love the most is like going to a restaurant that has shitty branding with great food. You just know, like there's something, restaurants I think are a unique sure. thing. It's hard for right. me yeah. because some Sometimes the best restaurants, they have the worst branding. So I, I don't know. That one's tough okay, for me. Okay, take it out of restaurants. Let's put it in another, yeah. <laughs> in another setting. Because I, I agree, but, but that also – but that speaks to maybe your creative openness to experience. Like that's part I know of what, what it speaks to. Know. It speaks to genuineness. To me, sometimes if a restaurant has too polished of a look, right. I'm thinking, oh, they have a bunch of money. They put this together like kind of like – imposing what they think I want on me instead of uh. this being like a genuine thing like oh this is just really good food like we're genuine people like I don't know like it can but be too try hard real easy oh there's something to be said about that because I remember I was talking I think it was Riley Carroll or maybe Mackie Saturday but we were talking about over branding and I remember when I first got into branding I was like logos decals secondary marks everywhere everything is branded murals like put something everywhere and then I started to realize like less can be more you know um, but I think the magic of of brand is is like creating something that feels comfortable and approachable but then spinning it on its head and giving a moment of delight unexpected delight right it's like that unexpected touch that people weren't expecting that good just goes above and beyond and to me we're always looking for those little moments so it's like you know, packaging is the best example. Like when you get something in the mail and they throw in that little extra thing that you didn't ask for, they gave you something for free, like just out of the goodness of their heart. Like any company who does that understands like the power that an, feel, a customer feeling like you went the extra mile or you thought of them and gave them something without them having to pay for it can feel, you know? Yeah. So however and you it, can bottle that and put it into a project. I, there's a few pieces there. So one is like, uh, I'm very interested in the relationship between essence and packaging because I think balancing those is really important. Uh, I think people that are open to experience can – I really like – when I think about it through the lens of music, I have a really, really, really hard time getting, to, getting into stuff that is packaged with overproduction. Like radio, most radio music is hard for me because I'm like, it feels like you're overcompensating. 
Like like these restaurants of like brand is so slick and amazing. It's like you there's something like you had focus groups, you right. had like there's so much going on here. It makes me think you didn't think about the food. Yeah. And so there's, you know, so, something, you know, weird there, but I wonder if that moment of delight and in this cuz this is kind of full circle with this idea of being in touch with uh, your identity and asking questions and all that kind of stuff. If you ever, do you see a, a, a connection between offering that delight with finding something genuine about the brand voice? Like, is, does it, does that go hand in hand? Are you, I'm, cause I feel like even though I do feel that your aesthetic is something I recognize, I don't feel like from brand to brand that things look the same. I feel like right. they always have their own voice that is part of the the thing that they're packaging. Um, yeah. Do you – go ahead. Oh, yeah. I mean, finding a client's brand voice is probably the first step, the hardest part, because if you know who they want to be and who they want to attract, I mean, really you're trying to figure out, okay, who do you – who's the ideal, I guess, you know – person who's going to come to the restaurant or who's going to interact with your brand and how do we, you know, appeal to them, but at the same time, stay true to yeah, who you are, because it's not just, I mean, people don't want something that just is exactly what they thought they wanted. They want something that surprises them. So it is kind of like a balancing act of like, who is the client and then who is the client's client and where is that, like the middle of the two circles with the, the, Venn, diagram. the Venn diagram, where's the middle part? Um, I think that's why we love to incorporate messaging in. Even when people don't ask for it, we end up writing copy because it's so much, uh, it's so much more than just like the logo and aesthetics. It's just like those little taglines sometimes can make a huge difference. And it's why studios like Young Jerks, uh, I think do such a great job is because I guarantee you they're not half the time, they're not getting hired to write some of that copy. But it's like when inspiration strikes and you know, like, oh, we just need to tweak this. This isn't quite it. You know, um, I think that can really help just kind of define it further. But you're right. It's like people, there is something. It's like people want what they want, but they also want the unexpected. Yeah. It's such a hard, yeah. It is interesting. And I think you're totally right. I, I had that co a conversation with Dan from Young Jerks of like, you should, I, I, I was like, if people aren't paying extra for your copy, they should be. Because right. you, this is some kind of magic thing that you do. And I also think it kind of relates to, I always think of uh, uh, illustration as writing with pictures. And I think that design is similar of like, you're you're doing copy, but you're just doing it with imagery. And do you? I wonder if you have in the early stages of a, a project. Do you, as you're going through meeting people who who run the the company, or you're listening to their story, or whether I just imagine as the people that you are, that there are things in the conversation that at some point are kind of a breakthrough for you falling in love with the brand oh, yeah. you have and to. then figure out how to put that in. Is that right. correct? Oh yeah. Well, like our first phase of our project is called the discovery phase, which in legal terms is like when you get all of the data about the legal case and everything is made available to you about the thing you're dealing with, right? Which means you're just doing a lot of absorbing. You're not emoting anything yet. You have to absorb everything there is to know about the client. Because a lot of times they're so close to it, they can't see the wood for the trees. That's where they're, that why they're hiring you to tell them, hey, I've lost track. Like, what is interesting about this thing that I've <laughs> totally. ma I'm making? I, I'm so in on the details that I, I kind of don't see yeah. the big picture. And so you have to come in and like absorb all that information and tell them, oh my gosh, these were the gems of your story that I think really would relate well to the outside viewer. Because I'm an outside viewer. You just brought me on on the story. And that was the thing that really re I resonated with. Because I think a lot of times companies come to you and they're like, it's all about them. They forget that they're supposed to be highlighting their customer as like, you know, it's about you. This is your story, you know? So I think yeah. a lot of times they're like, we do this, we do this, we do this. And it's like, yeah, but how does that, how does your customer care about that for them? You know? So it's like reminding people who it's about. It's not really about you. You're hiring us and you think it's about you, but it's actually about somebody else. And that's, you know, I think that's, that's even the same with, you know, what we do. And even as artists, it's it's like you're making it for you, but you're also hoping that somebody will see it and kind of like connect with it. Yeah, connect with it in whatever way. And a lot of times yeah. like like did you you probably have experienced this. And I talked to my friend Josh Ariza about this a lot because we both started like uh, apparel or like goods brands. And you think you know who your audience is going to be. And then the people who adopt it, you're like, I d could not have foreseen this in a million years, but yeah, I love these right. people. <laughs> yeah, but it's funny yeah. how like you just don't, sometimes you just can't foresee. So it's like helping the client with that. That's really interesting. A few times 
uh, I feel like you've said that your role as the designer is to put yourself, to be the customer to the brand, but to be kind of like, put yourself in the shoes and say, what excites me about this brand and help them extract that rather than what excites them about the brand, which is usually wrapped up in something to do with their own story. Um, do you have any particular example of a discovery phase where something came out of it? Maybe it was the traveling bidet. I don't know. Um, <laughs> so, somehow, I love that name for it. That's so actually much. really good. I don't, know, I don't know. What is it? Portable? What is it? Yeah, yeah, the traveling actual? Traveling bidet makes, actually makes so it better. sound like it's its own entity. Yeah. It just walks it around like, like a caravan, like off Offering services to passersby. It's like a character. It's like a kid's book. The traveling today. Um, that would definitely be in the censored book. The yeah. ki- censored kids books. But um, what? Uh, what do you have? Yeah. Do you have any example of a discovery phase where, as you're learning some stuff, there's just some little tidbit that comes up, and you're like, "Oh, that! I, this is so cool." Well, I mean, it. just recently, like I'm, re- I'm doing a rebrand for my friends Nickelodeon's in Nashville. Like we grew up in the music scene together, just going to shows and you know hanging out in Nashville. And now they have a pasta company, and they do. They have like you know equipment imported from Italy. They rebuilt these vintage machines. Like they're doing everything the right way. And I kept trying to ask them, like, t- kept trying to get a feel for like, but why are you different? Why should they care? What makes you different? And of course, they keep giving me all this like jargon. Of of like machinery they're using and they kept saying bronze cut and I'm just like but what does that mean and you know it's like I know that it's better but why and they're like well it adds more texture and you can get more sauce and I'm like there it is more sauce (laughs) it's not bronze cut it's more sauce and that's what people care about it's It's so funny because I can just imagine this in like a mad men setting you know it's like the the copy just like comes in like a, a vision more sauce because it's like everyone's all of these brands are like kind of bougie you know it's like it costs a little bit more it's craft and it's like yeah 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 yeah. but why <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah craft <laughs> you know yeah. it's like everyone's saying that how can we describe this and they're like you know we want to be no bullshit I'm like if we want to be no bullshit let's just say more sauce <laughs> that's amazing I, that's such a good story and it, it also kind of connects to uh one thing I'm always thinking about is you know creative people finding their people, finding who they're like, which is a step that I think a lot of people skip because of, you know, wanting to be original or, you know, one of a kind or whatever it is. Uh, And I think about it like a focal point where you create a pattern and then you break the pattern, but there has to be a pattern. There has to be some way that this thing fits in. And I am, and I, and this kind of ties back to what I meant by, you know, you having a sense of your identity is very unique. Like that's a, that's, Half of the journey, I feel like, as a creative person, it's difficult to find who you are. And I wonder if, like a focal point, like one thing, when I find myself around other people uh, that are like me, <laughs> when I find myself around other people, that doesn't happen anymore. That's what tripped me up about that. It's like, I know. do I? I've never been around <laughs> other people. It's me and Ryan all the time. <laughs> <laughs> but I, when I find myself around people that are a lot like me, all of a sudden, What's unique about me is so obvious because just blaringly, this is the way that I don't fit in. And it, and you did that. What I imagine happens as twins, where the they're the diff. You probably have a bunch of similarities, but the differences are like so blaringly obvious. And you just did that for a pasta brand, where you're like, <laughs> okay, here's pasta. There's a million pasta brands. Okay, you fit in in that way. We know that about you. (laughs) People that like pasta, we know. Um, But what is the thing that is different? And Mm -hmm. how can we extract that? Yeah, totally. That's it. That's distilling it down into like, yeah, that is it. That's why we spend, everyone's like, yeah, but is the strategy part, people, clients a lot of times will say, do we need the discovery? Can we cut that out? And I'm like, yes, we need it. Do you want this thing to go off the rails in two seconds flat? Sure, let's cut it out. (laughs) But it's like that, it takes all of the research and discovery to find the one, like, you know, the one pin, you know, that ties it all together. That's so true. And I, we were just talking to our friend the other day and he was like, yeah, but does all this discovery actually help you or is it just for the client? And I was like, no, no, 50, 50 equally helps us. Cause it's interesting. Client. Like I always have notions after my first call with a potential client and then, you know, they onboard and we sign the contract and everything. And I'm like, I know what this project is going to be. Then we do this discovery and even I'm surprised, but by what we learn, you know? So yeah. I think it really does t- stress test everyone's assumptions to just like put your heads together and just like throw everything against the, uh, the drawing board to start, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. And I, and I don't know what it is about people that really rail against like, um, 
the like the softer part of the process or like a soft skill, but mm-hmm. it's it just amazing to me how that is the key, like yeah. whether it's storytelling or music or whatever. It's like getting the heart of it before you add, look at this effect. Look yeah, at this totally. is the hot thing. Like all that stuff. All that is meaningless. It's yep. nothing if you don't get that first Well, and to me, right. it's just like when you go to the doctor and they won't listen to your whole story before they freaking prescribe <laughs> you something. It makes me crazy. I'm like, there yes. are a lot of nuances to this that I need to tell you, okay? And to me, that's what the discovery part is. It's where the client gets to unburden their shoulders with all of these ideas and worries and fears and hopes that they have and so that they feel completely heard and then we mirror back to them you know okay like are we all agreed that we're on the same page we put it in a pretty deck like these are our goals this is what the worst case scenario is it's the best case scenario the audience and we pretty much distill what they already said down but but because we just simplify it we simplify it we we streamline it we like interpret a lot of things that we know they mean but they didn't know how to say it and by just showing that back to them they feel so much better and more trusted or trustworthy about the process because they're like, okay, you heard me. Thank goodness. Like I was so scared that I was just going to pay a bunch of money and I I wouldn't really know if you were understanding the vision. And so I'm the doctor who finally listens to my patient for an hour before I prescribe them (laughs) Prilosec or whatever. I'm dying to know what Prilosec is for now. I think it's so you can eat pizza when you're old. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. That's, I think that's a good place to stop actually. Uh, That's the, that is the main takeaway. But seriously, I think uh, this for the task of finding who you are or what a individual piece wants to be, like there's all everything in between making space for the discovery phase and the the kind of research uh, gathering and all of that. Uh, you know, defining clearly what you're, the problem you're trying to solve. I feel like that is kind of the secret sauce, more sauce. More, it's all more working sauce. together. More of a secret sauce. That's, <laughs> uh, that's the title of this episode, more sauce. Love it. Um, <laughs> that, okay, uh, that was uh, super, super interesting. I'll leave with one more question and uh, wh- what is a commonly held belief or cliche about creativity uh, or creative careers that you passionately think does more harm than good? I think mine would be um, like people saying saying no to projects like um, because it's like it's it's not what I want to do or it's not what I'm interested in or um, or just saying no too quickly, I guess. I love what you said about like Wayne Coyne saying that creatives are just open-minded and open to new things. And I think it's really easy. At first you start out and you think you're open to new things. And then you start saying like, I only want to do this. This is what my style is. This is what's fun for me. And then you box yourself in again and accidentally. So it's like, allow yourself to be surprised. Like, you know, we just did a dental brand and it was the funnest project of perhaps the whole year. And who would have guessed that a dental brand could have been one of my favorite projects, but it's like, you just never know. So I think I think um, it's easy to accidentally box yourself in once you get um, a following or or for a certain style or you start to get fun, quote unquote, fun clients to be like, these are the only kind of clients I want to work with, you know. Um, so I don't know. Just don't lose that. Don't lose that sense of uh, saying yes and, and being surprised. Well, because this is what I always think. It's like we have so many cool restaurants out there. Who's going to like rebrand the DMV and make that enjoyable? Finally? You know what <laughs> I mean? Like yeah. someone has to do good by the things that no one wants to touch, you know. <laughs> yeah, so but um right. Okay, my thing would be the kind of fallacy that you have to be inspired to do something. Because as much as that's the ideal situation is that you really feel confident, inspired, there are going to be certain days where you kind of have to treat it more like a a practice, more like, um, you know, and you just have to go in and still like do the work and do the practice, even though you don't feel inspired. Because if you don't get through that and just like keep, you know, make make the bad work and like at least get it out and purge it so that there's room to get past it and, and make something inspired again. Because if you kind of just shut down every time you aren't feeling it, um, it's just a really hard, it, it creates bad habits, I guess. And a lot of creativity is creating good habits that, you know, you just kind of do the work and then eventually, you know, something good comes from it. I mean, I think that's how a lot of the best songwriters do it is that they, they do make a lot of shit, but they also like, because of that practice, make a lot of good stuff too. Yeah, speaking of good shit, I don't know if this is my metaphor. Probably not. I feel like it's a commonly held one. But uh, this, I I think of, uh, I think all creative people are aware that a lot of your best stuff, not all of it, but a lot of your best stuff 
does have that inspiration, does have that like the thing made itself. It was all the pieces came together. And then you get into the next piece and it's not working like that. And you're like, I know this is going to be bad. And I try to think of that uh, that as the good shit. That's the manure that grows all this other stuff. If you're not, uh, I that's my experience. I have to, I mean, maybe it's just me, uh, you know, outsmarting myself or trying to like just figure out how to get through that right. stuff because you have to. Yeah. But you're I have branding the like scenario. It. Andy, right. you're branding. <laughs> <laughs> you're branding it as good shit. Oh, I love yeah. that. Uh, okay, so we have two options for the title of this episode. More sauce or good shit. Or we can put more sauce, good shit yeah. together. More sauce and um, good shit. <laughs> uh, uh, but yeah, I, 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 I agree. Like that is the fodder. There's something about Doing the crappy work mm-hmm. that is a so it's so essential to getting to those breakthroughs. And the more crap I seem to make, the better stuff that I seem to make too. <laughs> right, it just right. like correlates. Yeah. 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 Totally. It's part of the ten thousand hours. Surely not all of the ten thousand yeah. hours that Malcolm Gladwell mentioned were gold. <laughs> I'm sure like ninety yes. percent of it was a lot of shit that had to be purged. Yes. So that you could get to the diamonds. <laughs> yeah, that's right. More, more shit that had to be purged <laughs> to get to the diamonds. The third option for our our title. Um, <laughs> this was so fun. This was awesome. We barely got to my planned questions, which means this was a massive success. Thanks for yes. taking time to make this happen. Yeah, oh, thanks. We Andy. were honored. Thanks, yeah. Andy. Love the show so much. I mean, very inspiring. Every day. I don't know how you do it. Thank you so much. (laughs) Ah, Thank you. Thank you so much. Oh, man. That was a good, that was a great conversation with just phenomenal takeaways. That's how I usually end a conversation with friends. Like, Hey, see you soon. Phenomenal takeaways, by the way. Um, But (laughs) seriously, seriously, I was so jazzed on this conversation and, uh, and I was pumped and I couldn't wait to share it with you. So I'm glad you got to hear it finally. Thanks to the Hood Sisters who are just outrageously talented and just super great. Um, Go check out their stuff. Hoodspadesign.com. Go check out their shop, okay? Because they have a freelance guide uh, that is just chocked full with everything you need to know about freelance and business stuff. Uh, They have video courses on that as well. Just very akin. uh, I feel like they're creative pep talk family um, and coming in from slightly different angle. Go check it out, hoodspadesign.com slash shop uh, for all those cool resources. Thank you, Amy and Jen, for just doing inspirational work and for giving us so much great time. Creative Pep Talk is part of the CoLoop Podcast Network. CoLoop is a network of creative podcasts designed to fuel your creativity. Make sure you never miss an episode. Sign up to our newsletter at creativepeptalk.com slash newsletter, you'll receive an email each week with a new episode, plus instant exclusive access to our back catalog of episodes one through 199. Where are the old episodes, Andy? That's where they are. Uh, Go check them out. Go sign up to the newsletter. Thanks to Y for our theme music. Shout out to Alex Sugg for our creative pep talk soundtrack. Thanks to Sophie Miller, my wife, aka Sophie Pizza, and Ryan Appleton for content assistance. Massive thanks to Connor Jones for editing the show so beautifully and and for changing my uh octave there that was weird connor why'd you yeah no he's put me in all right that didn't that wasn't connor that was just me (sighs) got so much talent that i just had just oozes out um sorry thanks connor Thanks, Connor Jones, for editing the show. And until we speak again, stay pepped up. Mm